When I found out I was gonna be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jamie, and goodness gracious, I am just happy that you showed up today to listen to this episode. Here's why. Number one, I love it when you guys listen to The Happy Hour. And number two, I had so much fun with Elizabeth recording this show today. The funny thing is, we had a lot of fun off air, but you'll just have to trust that this girl is funny and loves Jesus and has a whole book that I think you're going to love as well. Elizabeth Passarella. She lives in New York City with her husband and three kids. In fact, she grew up in Memphis, but she's actually lived in New York longer. So she calls herself a New Yorker, which I think she gets to. Her book, Good Apple, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York, released this past January. And I tell her in the show, and I'll tell you now, I was a bit hesitant to read it. The word evangelical just gets me sometimes in a good way and a bad way. But I read her book and loved every word. She made me laugh. She told great stories. In fact, I've heard her book described this way as a sharp and slightly profound memoir, which memoirs are my favorite books to read. Anyway, Elizabeth shares stories about everything from conceiving a baby in an unair conditioned garage in Florida to finding a rat in her bedroom. She upends stereotypes about Southerners, New Yorkers and Christians, making a case that we're all flawed humans simply doing our best. And that is about Elizabeth's book. And our conversation today is just that as well. We talk about that word evangelical. We talk about the stereotypes that it can come with it. We talk about her dad and and the journey that she had and how important he was in her life and, and even walking through the death of her father, what she's learned since then. We also talk about the things that my girlfriends and I are talking about, about sex and disappointments in motherhood and, and what it means to be a good mom. You're just going to really love our show today. Guys, I said this to Elizabeth and I'll say it to you now. I think that her book would be a phenomenal summer reading book. So check it out. You're going to love it. It's memoir-esque, which is my favorite, like I said already. Also, you guys, my book, UBU, it came out in October, and I hope that you've had a chance to get your hands on it. It's a book encouraging you to be you, to be the girl that God created you to be, to do the things that he set before you, to not look around and think you need to be like her, to be fulfilling what God wants you to do, but he has given you specific gifts and talents and platform and people around you because he wants you to invest in those things. And so check out UBU wherever you get books as well. Okay, friends, here's my conversation with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you so much for having me. You're in Austin, Texas. I am in the flesh. Welcome. Okay, so People ask me all the time, I'm coming to Austin. Where should I eat? Where should I stay? Can you just tell us where you ate last night? Because this is one of my number one recommendations. Yes. And this came straight from your team, from Lindsay on your team. We ate at Suerte, which was 
delightful. It was a lovely atmosphere. We sat on the little kind of balcony porch area off the front and we ordered too much. We kept asking the waitress kind of different things that she'd recommended and then would just be like, yes, and just bring us that too. Just bring us that too. So I think our favorite things were we had the fish tacos and the barbacoa maybe tacos were Mm -hmm. good. We had a smoked chicken that was delicious. It was all good. It was all good. It's where I send people, yeah, hands down. And you didn't have the margarita, but they have a really great margarita there as well. Maybe we'll go back. You should. When do you leave? Tomorrow. Okay, well, you have another (laughs) night here. Okay, well, welcome from New York City. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay, so my name is Elizabeth Passarella. And yes, I came from New York City after four to five months, I guess, of Zoom interviews and Zoom book clubs and Zoom podcasts. I'm so delighted to be in person with someone. So thank you for having me. I am a magazine writer and editor in New York. I have lived there for about 22 years. I've worked in sort of the publishing industry that long. And my first book came out in January. It's called Good Apple, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York. So I am Southern. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, but I've lived in New York now longer than I ever lived in Memphis. So this book is just a collection of funny essays, stories about my life growing up in the South, moving to New York, sort of falling in love with the city, falling in love with my husband. We live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and we have three children who are 11, almost nine. I guess by the time this podcast comes out, he will be nine and three. And they just went back to school full time. They just started back this five days a week. This is worth mentioning. Yes, it is. <sighs> Praise Jesus. Um, they have been hybrid since around October. So they were going two to three days a week, which listen was better than nothing. Right. I will take it. But just last week, they started going back five days a week. And so far, it's going great. And everybody's happy. And yes, it's great. Yeah, I know kids going back to school in this time has been... Oh, you don't realize how much you've missed it. Exactly. Well, and the funny thing is with my kids, though, they they're exhausted. It going five days a week feels so strenuous to them because they have been used to having two or three days a week where they're home and they can sit around on the couch and they can get a snack in the middle of the day. And so I think having to pay attention and sit in a classroom for five straight days is actually it's fine. It, they've lost that muscle memory. They're going to get it back and then they're going to be ready for the fall. And it's going to be full on. Okay. So pre-COVID, did you work from your home or did you go to an office? A little bit in between. I worked from home for years because I've always, I've been freelance for magazines for many years. I will occasionally go into an office and kind of work on a project, but I'm usually freelance. And I was working from home until I had my third child. And he is now home with a babysitter most days. He is very loud. We live in a very small apartment comparatively to Austin standards. So when I work, I go to a library. It's like a private library in New York. That sounds fancier than it is. It does sound fancy. It is very cheap. Don't. I'm not fancy. But I mean, it's called the New York Society Library. And a lot of writers work there. And I get a very uh, uncomfortable desk in some very dusty stacks in the middle of the library. And when I was writing the book or when I'm really busy, I usually go about four days a week. So I mean, I just go in. I kind of put my head down and, and I do work. your stuff. Mm-hmm. Another awesome plug. And I, I don't think that you're going to get to do this because I don't even know if it's actually open or not. But our public library oh. is I always tell people to go visit it when they come to town because it is so beautiful. It is so cool. It's brand yeah. new. So I bet. libraries. Well, and New York has some beautiful public libraries, like the famous, you know, the flagship public library that's on 42nd and 5th Avenue is amazing. That's not close to me. And then there are some not so beautiful yeah. public libraries yeah, in sure. New York City. <laughs> sure. So I I do work from them sometimes. The one that's closest to our apartment closed for renovations right before COVID and has not reopened. So yeah, that's why I joined the Society Library, which has been very good to me. I love that you're a library member. Okay, your book came out in January. It did. Good Apple, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York. And I want to let you know that when this book came to us in the mail, 
little behind the scenes, I get books super early. So I have no idea when I get this book, but the one I'm holding is like an advanced copy. So it it's is. not even the real deal. I'm sure we have the real deal here somewhere, but I get advanced copies. And this book came in and I thought a couple of things. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm a little scared, but yes, I'm ready. I thought, A, I love the cover. Oh, thank you. Love it. I have a thing for colors and I really like this color. But then I thought, this is your subtitle, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York. And I thought, what is she going to say? <laughs> Where is this book going? The word evangelical. Mm-hmm. It can be a little nerve wracking. What are you talking about, Jamie? Right? I have no idea. It was just I just plucked it, you know, out of thin air. I was like, yeah. Sounds good. So got a bunch of pitches to have you on. And I was like, Lindsay, I got to read this whole book because I just don't know where this Elizabeth girl is taking me. And I loved this book. Thank you. I loved it. I laughed. I cried. I related. It is so good. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. All that to say, tell me about the subtitle. Okay. So when I was thinking about writing a book, I had spent many years of my life and would have continued for many years of my life writing in the publishing industry. I was already a a writer and leaving Jesus totally out of it. I was very happy doing that, very content doing that. And I had this whole career and, you know, writing about my faith was never part of it. And I sat down with a former boss of mine who was the editor-in-chief of Real Simple Magazine, where I had worked for many years, and she was now taken a career turn and was now a literary agent. And we were having breakfast and we were talking and she was asking me, okay, have you ever thought about any book ideas? Let's, I mean, I would love to maybe think about some book ideas or brainstorm. And so I'm talking about all the things I'm passionate about in life, which is, I love, I love talking about New York City. I love talking about raising kids in New York City, living in a city, all these things. And she said, okay, Elizabeth, that's fine. But you got to appeal to the whole country, not just New Yorkers Yorkers. or not people who care about urban living or small space living. You've got to appeal, you know, like those evangelical Christians in the middle of the country. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do that because that sort of describes me. That sort of is me. (laughs) Is she a Christian that was saying this? I mean, she, she goes to church. I mean, she certainly would not call herself an evangelical Christian. And she knew that I was a Christian. That was not a surprise to her. But I think that's the thing about that word evangelical is it is so charged. It, it brings up immediately, it brings up a certain stereotype. Yeah. And I was not that stereotype to her. So she, you know, fell out of her chair practically. And she's like, wait a second. Like, I know you. I've worked with you for years. I know who you are. I know how you think. I know you and I have incredibly similar worldviews, similar values, similar political views about all these different things. You are not what I think of as an evangelical. And, you know, I should say, too, I don't walk down the streets of New York City telling people I'm an evangelical right. Christian. You don't have the T-shirts. No. Well, the are there T-shirts? I don't know. I don't know. If there's T-shirts, <laughs> I do not have one. But I also think, too, that word, even in the past Four years, six years, eight years has changed. I don't really know anybody I grew up with who grew up in an evangelical church who I don't know. I know there are people out there who use the word very proudly, but I don't know any of them. It's just become too politically aligned. So when I started talking about this book and sort of thinking about this book, and I have to say, I did not really have the correct definition of evangelical. I grew up thinking, I just went to a non-denominational church. It was evangelical in the name. It was called First Evan, First Evangelical yeah. Memphis. And I grew up thinking evangelical just meant you proclaim the good news of the gospel. Right. You evangelized. Uh-huh. So we're all evangelical. Right. Isn't that right? I really had no idea that it even had some sort of a firm theological definition, which it does. Mm-hmm. 
but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter anymore. So the reason that we put it on the cover of the book, and we debated, I debated the most. My agent and my editor were both much more secure and much more sure that that was the right subtitle than I was. I was much more nervous. But I think what what it says for me is, number one, that is 100% how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Now, do I go to a Presbyterian church now. I don't, again, like I said, I don't use the word evangelical. I don't think it has much of an important yeah. meaning anymore, but it's definitely how I grew up. Yeah. So that's part of it is I do talk a lot in the book about how I grew up and how I am now and how I've changed, how my faith has changed, how my outlook on uh, family life or where I live, how that all has changed me. So I think it's important to talk about where I came from. Second of all, I think that there are, I hope there are, I know there are because they Instagram message me, that there are a lot of people in this country who are still going, you know, still consider themselves evangelicals. And I wanted them to look at this book and say, okay, here's someone who is just like me. Mm. She believes like I do. Her faith is just like mine. But, oh, wait a second. She lives in New York City and she's raising her children in that godless city and she votes the way she does or she does this. And I wanted it to challenge them in a sense. And I also want all those people who I live and work and do life with in New York City to look at this and think, okay, she's not just the kind of Christian who goes to church on Christmas and Easter. Right. She's not, you know, a lot of people in New York, when I tell them I'm a Christian, they assume I'm Catholic just because there's a lot more Catholics in New York. And a lot of people have that frame of reference. So that's not me. Like, you know, I go to a pretty, a fairly theologically conservative church. I go to a Bible study. I'm part of a community group. Like, you know, it is a part of my daily existence. And so I wanted them to know that that's the kind of Christian I am. And yet they know me. They know that I do life the same way they do. We have a lot of the same, you know, thoughts about things that I'm this very passionate New Yorker that my kids are in public school. So I wanted both of those groups of people to sort of challenge their assumptions about a certain type of New Yorker and challenge their assumptions about a certain type of Christian. That said, again, no T-shirt. Don't have the T-shirt. It's not tattooed anywhere on my body. But that's I bet why. we could find a T-shirt real quick. Lindsay over there could find it in Google like it. a hot Google it. minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I love hearing that because that doesn't everything you said doesn't surprise me. And you know, I was listening to someone talk the other day, and they said, "Well, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I would think that a lot of the things that an evangelical Christian is they would stand for, but they said they don't identify as an evangelical. Mm-hmm. And the reason they said is because of the baggage that it brings when sure. you say it. And I have even found myself, honestly, Elizabeth." in these past four years, kind of going, should we use that word? Because it feels so loaded. Yeah, I don't think we should anymore. I just don't think it has much meaning anymore. I really don't. I think that pollsters and the media have sort of used it to shoehorn a certain type of voter. It's almost used as an identifier for a certain type of voter. It's so true. And mostly white ones. And so I just, I think it's sort of a meaningless word to be totally honest with you. You know, at the same time, I also think there is, you know, for me, I don't have much of a problem talking about it either, because I think the people who are debating the term evangelical the most are Christians. Mm -hmm. I think outside the Christian circles we exist in, nobody really cares. They see it as one thing. It's kind of a voting identifier. And that's it. We're the ones who are having all these discussions about, did you grow up in purity culture? Were you traumatized by this? We're the ones having those discussions. We're all just having them in our own little Christian bubbles. And I say this too, I don't have a lot of the baggage. I loved my church growing up. I loved my church now. I grew up in purity culture. I don't have a lot of baggage on that either. I mean, it is what it is. So I think that it's a little easier maybe for me to talk about it yeah. because I just don't have a lot of baggage you don't bring about it a lot either to way. the table no. of past hurts. No, which is I don't. great. Which is Good great and you. I'm lucky. But yes. <laughs> 
Okay, well, I knew I was going to love this book, honestly, when I opened it up. And the first chapter is titled The Virgin Surprise. And then the second chapter is entitled How I Became a Democrat. I was like, you know what? I like this girl already. Oh, good. (laughs) I hooked you in. Okay, because there's some people who probably read Virgin and Democrat and were like, I'm going to write her a letter. Her poor mother. I'm sure they did. Your poor mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did your mom read your book? She did. And what'd she think? Because you talk about your mom in here and her sweet Southern self. I do talk about my mom a lot. She read it. You know, it took her a little while to read it. And big spoiler alert, if anybody has read the book, you get to the book. My dad passed away right before. Before I finished the book. I mean, not suddenly. I mean, it was not expected. And I called my editor and I said, I need another couple of weeks. I was supposed to turn the main street. I said, my dad just died. First of all, I need to get through that and the funeral and all of this. And I said, and also, I need to go back and kind of reevaluate. I need to look at some of these stories. I need to change things to past tense. I want to write about his death. I want to write about his funeral. And so I did that. And then I handed the manuscript to my grieving mother and said, here's my book. And here's all these things that you probably don't agree with. And also, I wrote about dad's death. Have fun. Tell me what you think. So um, she did not read it for a long time. And I do not blame her one bit. She was grieving. It was a hard time. And I think it was too close. And she knew that I talked about him a lot. He was so special to me. And he was so influential in how I became who I am. And so she did not want to read it at first. But she has read it. And she loves it. I mean, it's been fun to watch. I think my mother, as many Southerners with Southern moms can probably relate to this, she was worried about what everybody else was going to think. <laughs> that is so classic. Yes. She was worried about what everybody else was uh-huh. going to think. And I think what has been so lovely and I'm so grateful for and so beautiful is that so many of her friends, she was a school teacher for many, many years. So many of the teachers that she taught with have called her or written her or texted her to say, we bought Elizabeth's book and I just loved it. Oh, it's so great. And I laughed so hard. And I think that has definitely made her like it even more sure. because she knows that her friends have enjoyed it. For no sure. one's calling her outraged. That's good. Okay. Let's talk about your dad. Okay. Because I enjoyed every time you talked about him. And when I was reading the book in real time, I did not know that your dad had passed away. And so I got to that part and I cried. I was sad because I had like, I would actually love to see a picture of him. Because you know, when you read something, you have an idea of what someone looks Mm -hmm. like. I kind of had this idea of your dad because of the relationship that you guys had and the way that he, you know, had raised you and all the things. But in the book, you talk about death Mm -hmm. often in the book, way before I knew that your dad had passed away. Was that in there originally? It was in there. Why? Which just goes to show, I don't know, we're a morbid family. Well, I think about death fairly. I mean, not in a weird way. It just doesn't, it's not a taboo subject for me. So I do joke. Do you think about it the same way I do that before we started recording? How do you think about it? Well, before we started recording, I joked that I have the pain in my back and I Probably have cancer with two months left to live. Like with hypochondria? No. That would be me. I'm no, like, I'm, I'm gonna, always on the brink of death. No, mine is I'm going to either die being because I'm going to my husband's going to make me bike somewhere in the city, which I do not like doing. And I'm going to get hit by a bus. That's it. It's in mine's always. That's um, actually a real thing that could happen in the city, though, I would imagine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Jamie. And so mine are all dramatic accidents. Okay. I think of dramatic accidents. I think of like the big dramatic, the skiing accident, the car accident. That is how I am constantly. I'm sort of a, there's always like a dramatic ending to my life. What's your Enneagram number? I'm an eight. Yes. But I think I'm a dilettante when it comes to the Enneagram. I haven't really studied it a whole lot, but I'm pretty sure I'm a pretty consistent eight. So I always think about, because I'm always worried about who my husband's going to marry next. And so I just want to be real clear you know, to him, sort of what my expectations are, because apparently I'm going to control him from the grave. So I just want to make sure that like, okay, now, you know, like, you're going to need to marry somebody who X, Y, or Z, or does this or treats our children this way, or really has a connection with this kid in that way. So I don't know why I feel the need. I'm an organized person. I feel this need 
to plan for my death in the event that I exit this earth early and my husband's going to marry somebody and I want to make sure she does what I want her to do. If that's not controlling, I don't that's know. Not Does that we sound normal? Everybody <laughs> sounds completely normal to me. But yes. I might not be normal. The reason I talk about it with my dad, I mean, in relation to my dad, because that is my favorite chapter in the book is when I actually talk about his death. But I go back and talk about how when I was growing up, he was just a scary movie kind of guy. Yeah. I would be six years old or I don't know how old I was too young. The age was too young. That's the answer. And he would kind of pull me onto his lap and be like, just wait, wait, this is a great part of the movie. And it was The Exorcist <laughs> or Red Dawn or, I mean, the nightmares I had as a Did child. Did you see Silence so, of the Lambs? Yes. Yes. Oh, that is yes, such that was a one of his scary favorites. Movie. So scary. And so I don't know is where, that where my he mom. says Clarice? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, carry on. Have oh, the, that have is. The lamb stop screaming. Yes. Yes, that is it. So he was a scary movie guy, and there's always been a little bit of a sense of humor around it in our family. And and I guess we can say that, too, as a family that did not experience a lot of tragedy or tragic deaths in our family. Most of the people that have died in my life have been old. You know, grandparents, and my dad was 81. So maybe we wouldn't have been so, I don't know, talked about it so much if we had had a real um, painful tragedy in our lives, but we hadn't. So So talking about it so much and not having it taboo and being something, what was it like when you actually experienced that? Because it was sudden, you said in the book, Mm -hmm. that your dad, what Mm -hmm. was that actually like? And were you as prepared for it as you thought you were going to be? I would say I was. Because I'd thought about it a lot. I'd thought about my parents kind of dying a lot. I say in the book, I always have this running list in my head of what I would say at a eulogy, even though we didn't really have a eulogy for my dad. We had kind of a small, just graveside service. But I'm always thinking about what I would say about somebody or what I would want someone to say about me if I died. I do think I was prepared. I will say what was so incredible, which was just a huge, huge, huge gift to me was he died two days before Christmas and he was at my sister's house. My sister lives in Charleston, South Carolina. They had driven to my sister's house to spend Christmas there and he had a stroke. He had a massive stroke and they pretty much knew he was gone when and they took him in the ambulance to the hospital. And we are very lucky. My brother-in-law, my sister's husband, is an ER doctor. So he was able to sort of oversee, you know, who was which hospital he was at and the care he was getting. And they kept him on life support until I was able to fly down there to wow. be with them. And I think if I had not been able to hold his hand and say goodbye to him, it would have been way harder. And so many families don't get that. Yeah. So I know that that was such a gift to me that my mom and my sister sat there because it took a while. I had to get a, I did. I was at work. I had to get home, get my kids situated, get a flight, get to the airport. It was right before Christmas. The flight I was supposed to get on was completely booked. I was on standby. I sobbed to the gate agent. You guys, I think that some angel on that flight saw me and got out of his seat wow. and got, gave me the seat so I could get there because I said, they're keeping my dad alive until yeah. I get there. Please yeah. let me get on this flight. And so they, my mom and my sister <laughs> sat in his hospital room and held his hand and played his favorite music and sang to him and prayed with him for, I don't know, eight hours until I got there. And then I was able to say goodbye to him. The three of us were together with my brother-in-law in in the room with him when they finally took him off life support and he died. And that kind of just being able to physically say goodbye, he couldn't hear me. I don't know. He was gone. But just being able to have that, I think I will never, ever, ever take that for granted that we had that and that we were able to all be together. And that doesn't always happen. You know, people have accidents. Especially for something sudden. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that I think was huge in me being able to sort of process his death. And he had had different health issues over the past years. I mean, we knew that it wasn't like he was water skiing the day before, but we had had a good couple of years. Also, he had been to Italy with my mom just a couple of months before that, which a trip that my sister and I both thought they were crazy to take. We were like, dad's never going to be able to walk around Italy. And he did it and they went. And so there were a lot of things that he got to do. He had a long, wonderful life. So... You talk in the book about the fact that your dad was Jewish. Yes. Can you tell the story, speaking of death and kind of just this like idea of the way that your family speaks about things. Can you tell the story in your book about when one of your kids' projects that they had done? Yes. <laughs> because I was okay. dying laughing. This is my favorite story from the book. Oh, yay. It's in my favorite chapter. This is the one story that my daughter sort of told me, please don't use that story. And I did anyway. And I'm apologizing on Jamie Ivey's podcast. Happy hour listeners. I apologize. I'm a bad mother. I used it anyway. She knows. She's read it. I think she's okay with it. Okay. So in second grade, when my child was in second grade, she's in fifth grade now. When she was in second grade, I was pregnant with my third child. I am also not the kind of mother who's super dialed into what's going on in school anyway. But then on top of that, I had a newborn. And so I was completely checked out, did not know what was going on in second grade with her. So at the very end of the year. You're the same type of mom. And I was not pregnant oh, at good. all. I just am like, I don't know what's I know. happening. I'm using pregnancy as yeah. an excuse. <laughs> but I did have a newborn. So this was June. It's the very end of the school year. And my daughter says, you know, mom, we've had these book clubs. And we've been getting together. And we all chose a subject matter. And you got together with people that liked your subject matter. And I'm in the war book club. I was like, that is great, honey. I'm so proud of you. Fantastic. And this was not surprising to me because she had always been really interested in World War II. Ever since she was in preschool, she would flip through World War II books. My dad, who we will get to this, I think, in a minute, my dad was Jewish and he was also extremely into World War II documentaries, Hitler documentaries, all of that. And she would watch those with him. So she was very into that stuff. So that did not surprise me. So we get to school It's the last week of school, and it's like, you know, they have the publishing parties where all the parents come in and see what the kids have been up to. And she said, we've been doing projects with our book group, and, you know, there's we've split up into pairs, and we're doing a project about the books we've been reading. And I said, okay, great, great, blah, 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 blah. I'm not listening. I have a newborn (laughs) strapped to my chest. I'm not paying attention. So all the parents are milling around outside. We get inside, and I start kind of wandering around, and I'm seeing volcanoes, butterflies, I don't know, just normal, normal <laughs> book club projects. And for I turn grader, for, for second, second graders, graders, for eight year olds. Yeah. And I turn to my daughter and she's walking right back. And now, now, sweetie, what is your project on? She goes, I made a diorama of Hitler's suicide. And I <laughs> just, I turned, my husband wasn't there yet. He was kind of like coming up the stairs behind me. And I turned around and I was like, she made a diorama of Hitler's suicide. And she's so proud. Yeah. And I made it out of model magic. And I wish I'd had more time because I didn't really get to get everything exactly how I wanted it. But I did manage to put Ava Braun in. She has her cyanide pill. I mean, y'all, his his wife's sitting next to him with her, her necklace on. She's got her cyanide pill. Hitler had some, you know, blood because he shot himself. I mean, if anything you need to know, guys, about Hitler's suicide, I can fill you in. So it was fantastic. And it's got a big poster next to it, Hitler's suicide. So you can see other parents start to walk past the table and start to kind of turn away and they're moving their children away. So just to make a long story longer, I will say it ended, that school year ended with many meetings, many uh, union reps were in the building. Over Uh, this. Oh, yes. 
there was another part of that group that also did a big project about guns. I'm not going to throw those kids under the bus. They were, I was like, but you know, we live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You can't be doing projects about guns, guys. This isn't Texas. So <laughs> we, Texas, we're about to pass a law where you don't even need a license sure, to carry a sure, gun. <laughs> sure. People, kids in New York, I mean, they're like, what's a gun? So anyway, or hunting guns, at least that's for sure. So there were a lot of issues. There were a lot of things that had just kind of gone by the wayside, fallen through the cracks. Teachers were not clearly quite on top of it. So yeah, there were meetings with the principal. Kids had to go talk to the guidance counselor. And so I t- spoke to the guidance counselor because what I wanted to make sure, because I said, you know, to my daughter, I was like, we loved your project. It was, all, I didn't want her to feel like she was doing, had done something wrong. So I was talking to the guidance counselor just to make sure that there wasn't any shame put on the kids for doing this. I was like, you know, and the guidance counselor said, no, I told her how creative it was. And we were so excited. She goes, I did ask her where she grew such an interest. And she said she watches lots of Hitler documentaries with her grandfather. And I said, yes, that is true. <laughs> so I'm sure that somewhere in our school, there is probably a picture of my dad and a black check next do to him not saying, enter. do not enter. Do not let this man near the second graders. Oh my gosh. But um, it was, and and I don't know what happened. I'm assuming it got burned in like a funeral pyre in the back playground of the school. I got lots of pictures of it, but I did not get to keep it. Oh my gosh. These are one of the conversations I'm having with my daughter recently about sex where I'm like, mm-hmm. we talk very openly about sex in our home. So do we. You might not want to say that to a kid at school. Yeah. She's the youngest of four. And yeah. if you say that to a kid that's the oldest of four, they don't know these things yet. Right. So we talk about what's home conversation and what's school conversation. Yes. yes. And second grade was when I was writing these morbid stories about. So it's like there's something about second grade in our family. Yes. Apparently, like maybe that's when we you come talked about that own. in the book mm-hmm. with your stories. That yes. You would write. That for my mom for Mother's Day. And tell us what some of the stories were. So when I was in second grade, I put together a Mother's Day gift. I mean, we all did. You were supposed to put together some of your favorite stories that you'd written throughout the year to give to your mom for Mother's Day and bound up in kind of a, you know, a present. And my stories were there was a cat who had 10 feet who had leukemia. There was a turtle named Pokey who won a race and then died. There were children who went with a clown to like get a balloon and were lost and never seen again. There was a pig family that went on a walk and were lost and never seen again. Every (laughs) story ended in just morbid kidnapping, terminal illness, everything. So I don't know. There is clearly something about a second grader in our family. There's something genetic with us that that's when you really get to your death roots. I'm not sure. but this is um, just the best. These are like things that I would actually think, though. So like you're yeah. speaking my language, Elizabeth, right here. Well, and my sister got up at my rehearsal dinner when I got married and read these stories to oh the whole gosh. room at the rehearsal dinner. And yeah, it was. And look how far you've come. And he still married me. Still Nobody married in his family took him aside and said, son, this woman (laughs) is disturbed. Oh my gosh. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike, and it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. 
Enjoy live music. Visit internationally recognized art museums and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now Travel Texas offers a one of a kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom visually led trip matched to their unique interests. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I want to ask you in the book you talk about and you just say that your dad was Jewish. And as a little girl, you know, you used to always think like maybe there's a do-over in heaven. You know, maybe that is. What is it like for you now as a grown woman and your dad has passed away? Like how that has to be a little bit difficult and painful for you. And maybe it's not. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. You know, it's not. And I'll tell you why. We spent, I mean, he was 81. He was married to my mom for 48 years. And we prayed for him, with him, yelled at him, sent him cards, wrote him letters, did everything that we could to sort of, he had a wife and two daughters, two sons-in-law who all know and love Jesus. And it never, you know, his heart never turned towards the Lord in his 81 years on this earth, despite all kinds of persuading and prayer on our parts. And God had a reason for that. I don't know what it was, but I will say that my mother prayed with him when he first, she first noticed 
that something was wrong when he had his stroke, you know, and again, this is a personal story for her that anyway, but I hope she won't mind me sharing it. But, you know, she prayed with him. She kind of crawled into bed. She knew what was happening and she kind of crawled into bed and prayed with him. And she has every confidence in the world that he's with Jesus. Now, we don't know, but nobody knows, but she is really at peace that she believes that in the, at the end of his life, that when she prayed with him and he, you know, said that he acknowledged that he was, you know, wanted to be saved, that she believes he's with Jesus. So I carry that confidence. I I really do. And also, as my mom said, and she has this wonderful friend, Diane, who's one of the most godly women I know. And Diane says to us all the time, oh, he's with Jesus. I know it. And I think that woman has a direct line. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's right. If Diane says it, I think it's true. And but, you know, I also think as my mom has said, if we get to heaven and he's not there, we're not going to be sad. Yeah. So I'm excited that someday I will get to heaven. And if he's there, it will be amazing. And I cannot wait. But if he's not there, there's no sadness. Mm-hmm. So if he's not there, I won't be sad. So I think that, yes, I do have a kind of a joke. I mean, you know, I hope no pastors call me. This is clearly not a theologically sound argument. But I did kind of as a kid think they are God's chosen people, the Israelites. The Jewish nation is God's chosen people. And so maybe there is some sort of do-over. Maybe there is some sort of split-second decision after they die where they get a second chance. We don't know. Yeah. And you know what? Who cares? Yeah. We should be living our lives the way we live them on earth. We should be proclaiming the gospel in whatever way we can or God leads us to. And if God wants to give some people a second chance, who are we to say? We get all the second chances in the world right. every day, That's every right. second, every morning. Yeah. So I really do have peace about it. Yeah. I take my cues from my mom who mm-hmm. has a real peace about it. And again, if he's not there, I won't be sad. That's a really great and mature way to think about it. And I think that that comes as we age, yes, you know, and our understanding sure. of God and the gospel and all the things. And I also see absolutely nothing wrong within our earthly life saying, I really think he's going to be there because what do you lose? Right. Nothing. Right. You lose nothing if that's where you stand. And so I love it so much. Okay, marriage. You also talk about marriage in your book. And your husband, Michael, you've been married 16 years this 16 month. 16 years yep. this month. Congratulations. Thank you. But one of my favorite things that you talk about in the book is this like public fighting that you guys got going on. And I'm telling you, Elizabeth, I was sweaty armpits. I was nervous. I was anxious. I was like, I can't do this. Like, this makes me so uncomfortable. But you're like, no, this is this is the way to go. Well, you are not the first person who said that to me. I've had several people who say, oh, my gosh, I was so uncomfortable when I read that chapter. Well, okay, let's start with the (laughs) idea that um, we don't have a backyard or an attic or a guest room or a spare bathroom to lock ourselves or a formal dining or anything. anything. No libraries, no nothing, no podcast studio. It doesn't exist. So in terms of fighting with each other, if we're going to raise our voices or get into it, our kids are going to hear, our neighbors are going to hear, our doormen are going to hear. So part of it is just you literally do not have space to sort of have a private fight. So everything in New York in some ways is public. But I'm also just, we are both loud people. Now, he's not a yeller. He doesn't have a temper like I do, but he's loud. And I do have a temper and I'm a yeller and I'm loud. So it's just a great combination to be married to you guys. But so, yeah, I mean, this doesn't happen as much anymore because, again, I've aged. I'm mature. (laughs) I can hold my temper a little bit better with my husband. It's probably been projected now onto my kids. But we we just when we go out to dinner and we're walking down the street, we're not in a car. That's the other thing. Think about how many times you might have had an argument with your husband in the car before you go into a party. And you think, okay, let's get it together before we go into this dinner party or let's get it together before we go into Chili's or wherever we're going. We're not in a car, you guys. We're just on the street. So we are fighting on the corner of 104th and Amsterdam or wherever we are. And I just don't. It doesn't bother me. Number one, in New York, you see a lot of strange things on the street. So I don't think anybody is phased. But on the other hand, I do really think that being able to fight well in a marriage 
to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to, I don't know. I mean, and I'm not saying we fight well. We fight dirty sometimes, and I'm not a great fighter. So I'm not saying that like, oh, look at us having this wonderful, healthy marriage screaming at us on the sidewalk. But I do think that anybody who is young and married does need to know you are going to fight. Yeah. People who don't fight make me nervous. Right. And I think they're lying. So, <laughs> or they don't ever spend time together or, or talk yes, to each or other. Yes, they don't know each other that well. I don't know. <laughs> Do they not have irritating personality flaws? So I just think it's part, I wish people would talk about it more. Yeah. I really do. I mean, I wish people talk about that more. I wish people talk about sex more. I wish people talk about money more. All these things mm. that I feel like are so important in your marriage and can be such pressure points and such points of shame or points of frustration or confusion. If we talked about them more in yeah. community, maybe we would all do it better. Yeah. Okay. 16 years married. Yes. What would you go back and talk about early marriage about sex? Ooh, that, oh gosh, that I would say it gets better. Much, much, much better, especially if you were someone who waited to have sex when you got married. It is not going to be like the movies on the honeymoon, sweetheart, even though you can try all you want. You can climb all over the place. Uh It's not going to be like that. So the better you know each other, the more vulnerable you are with each other, the more mistakes you have made and the more you have shared with each other, the more intimate and better your sex is going to be. And it's just going to get better and better. I mean, it is better now than it was when we were married. It's better now than it was two years ago. It just gets better. So I would say that for sure. And do it when you don't feel like it. I mean, just do it. I mean, I think that you need to be having sex more often than most people are having sex. And if you are not enjoying it and you are not having fun and um, figure that out and communicate that and don't don't stay silent. And also, I would tell most Christian women, get a little crazy. Have fun. I mean, I just think that most of us were brought to maybe a lot of us just have big gaps in our knowledge. Yeah in terms of sex, because we weren't taught everything and we didn't try a million things before we got Mm -hmm. married. And I think also there wasn't for me. I mean, I talk a lot in my book about how we were naked a lot as a family. There's not a lot of body shame in our family. So I did not deal with that at all, which I'm grateful for. But he is your husband. You can do whatever you can pretty much kind of do whatever you want. You know, if everybody's comfortable, go for it. (laughs) So I just think have fun, play, enjoy each other and don't hold back. I wonder what the average having sex a week is? That's a good question. I mean, I remember being early in my marriage, I remember it being someone's baby shower and a bunch of us were sort of talking and someone said, well, once a week is what you should be doing. But if you can make yourself have sex with him twice a week, that then he's really going to be happy. You're really going to be on a good track. And I just thought, I mean, make yourself, by the way, for make yourself mm-hmm. have sex with him. And so I feel like that was kind of the, that was always what I had in the back of my head, sort of early in my marriage. Like, well, oh, if we could do it twice a week, then we'd be really, mm-hmm. like, I'd be really a good wife. And that, I don't know. I don't know what, to me, the numbers are not important. You go through sort of ebbs and flows. Yeah. And also sex is not just for him. Like, do right. it twice a week and he'll be happy. Right. No, this is, exactly. that's not why we have sex. Exactly. <laughs> if you are not having fun and enjoying yourself, <laughs> yeah. then yeah, you Yeah, sex is not just it. for men. There's that. Right done. You know, another thing that I really appreciate you being vocal about in your book, too, is just with motherhood and the journey that you've been on. And, you know, you joked earlier, like, I'm not a hands-on at the school mom, and, and I'm not either. And I always say motherhood and parenting will go down as, like, the hardest thing I've ever done mm-hmm. for a couple reasons. A, because it's just hard. And there's just four children in my house. There's a lot of needs, all the things. I also feel the most pressure maybe as a mom, for not living up to what I think I'm supposed to be, or mm-hmm. this is what a good mom is, and so that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I know that you have talked about that as well, of just this, like, of dealing with disappointments even in right. motherhood. Of, am I is this supposed to feel different or look different? What does that look like for you now with three kids, 11, 8, 3? 
Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I will say, first of all, you know, motherhood is the most sanctifying thing. I mean, even more so than marriage in terms of if you want to know how sinful you are, your children will reflect that back yeah. to you very yeah. clearly. Well, I'm like, I didn't know I had like anger issues. Yes. And then these little people get here. Yep. Or I would just, I think about the number of times I tell my children, but I told you this already. Why can't you remember? Or I've said this four times. Why haven't you heard? And all I hear, and again, guys, I'm not a super holy person. I'm not trying to say this like this is not all the time. But in the quiet moments of the day, what I hear is God saying to me, well, I've told you that (laughs) 10,000 times. And look at you. You haven't learned it either. So I think having children for me has just shown how incredibly sinful and disobedient and just immature I am because mm-hmm. it has sort of reflected my own sin back to me. I definitely have anger you know, issues. The past year has not made it better, yeah. guys. It's not made it better. I write a lot about being angry in the book, and I would say we're probably in a worse place now than we were when this book came out because it's been a really long year yeah. in a two-bedroom apartment with five people. So in terms of pressure, you know, it's funny, living in New York— this is one of the beautiful parts about living in New York is you get every kind of motherhood. Yeah. I have friends who are staying home with their kids right now or working, you know, from home in a freelance position. I have friends who work really long finance jobs and are never home and their kids are with a babysitter until seven o'clock every single night. So there is not really that standard, I feel like, of what a good mom should be or is. I know we all have those standards in our hearts in some ways. And I'm sort of in the middle. I work, but I'm also have a flexible job. So I'm around. I just think the ways where I feel like I fail my children is just, especially in the end of the day, when I think most people are talking to their kids about how their day went, processing things that were hard, praying with them before they go to bed. I am the worst person at the end of the day. I just wish. And so I have tried, like, let's have those conversations at the breakfast table. or let. But even the breakfast table is hectic, too. You're trying to get everybody out the door on time. So I think I feel like I'm not a great mom when I think about their spiritual development. Like I'm not praying with them enough. I'm not a good example to Mm. them of what it looks like to, you know, have a soft answer instead of a harsh word. Like Proverbs 15, one says, I am not that. That is written on our refrigerator right now because we're all (laughs) struggling with it. But so I think that is where I struggle is not in terms of the time I spend with them or the activities that I'm involved in with them, but more just, am I a good example? No. Am I? But, you know, I ask for forgiveness a lot. I repent a lot. If they grow up and all they know is that their mother was a total screw up but knew how to ask for forgiveness, right? You'd then that, them something really I will have good. given them that. Yeah. I think it was in here early on where you talked about your identity even not being tied. Was it when you talked about how I became a Democrat? Maybe. It's not tied in being a mother. It's not tied in being in a political party. Right. It's not so tied in my job. The reason that we can like kind of hold our head up and stand up straight, no matter what we're talking about, motherhood, marriage, our giftings, who we voted for, or whatever, none of these things identify. Right. Being an evangelical, you know what I mean? Like these are not our identities at the end of the day. Exactly. And so I think it becomes easier for us. And it's freeing. With maturity and age yes. to go, okay, I know this about myself, but this is not who I am. It's not who I am. Also, it's freeing. It's really freeing. It frees you up to make mistakes and not let it just send you into the pit of despair. Also, I am not my children's savior. I remember being at a a Bible study or a, a talk. I don't remember where it was, but I remember hearing a pastor say to us, you are not the Christ. 
you are not the Christ. You're not the Christ. And that's how I used to always think about my dad, too. I'm not the Christ. I can tell him what I want to tell him. I can tell him how much I love him, how much my relationship with God means to me and what it's done in my life. But I'm not in charge of saving him. And I'm not in charge of saving my children. So, okay, I'm not in charge of sanctifying my husband in, in some sense. I mean, I'm there to point him towards Jesus. But it's not my job to save somebody. It's not my job to be my children's savior. So that's also freeing. You know what else is freeing? You also can't like condemn your children. To, you can't script so bad that they end up. Are you sure? Yeah, positive. <laughs> it's true of both. I remember feeling that same way of like, okay, I mess up. I'm not the reason that my children are going to go astray. Right. right. Because we see phenomenal parents mm-hmm. raise kids who turn their back on the Lord. And yep. you go, how does that even happen? And we also see some real crappy parents who raise kids who end up changing the world for the Absolutely. gospel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because God is bigger than us and yeah. we're not the savior or the condemner. Would that condemner. Be? Yeah. The devil. The devil. My children think I'm the devil sometimes, <laughs> but that's <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> Mine probably do as well. Yeah. Our new thing with our kids is one of our kids told us he just wishes we were more laid back like the rest of the parents. Oh, sure. Because other parents are perfect. And laid back. And laid back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. After he said that to us, like a day later, Aaron and I were doing something and I was like, Look at us. We're just so laid back. <laughs> you do seem laid back to me. We are laid back. Yeah. I mean, but it was just kind of funny. It's we we love making fun of our children in front of them when they don't know it. it yes. Is just the yep. best, right. Yep. But yep. now our kids are getting older, so we I can't know. do it much anymore. There's a lot of things we, we can't say do it under our breath. There's a lot of things we can't do in front of an eleven year old. Let me oh. tell you. It's becoming very difficult. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. What are you loving these days and what have you been reading? Oh, gosh. I'm loving a lot of things. I mean, are we talking television shows? Yeah, like tell skincare me what you're watching. Products, all of it. Skincare, of yes. It. So there's an Instagram account called Things I Bought and Liked. Do you know this? Oh, I follow. Okay. She turned me on to some glycolic acid pads. I don't even know what that is. Okay. It's a glycolic acid is, um, it's like a, you know, I mean, it's going to turn over your cells. It's okay. going to chemical exfoliant. That's the word I'm Got looking it. for. Exfoliant. It's chemical exfoliant. It burns a little bit, although you can get them in different strengths. They're on Amazon. Glycolics is the brand. G-L-Y-C-O-L-I-X. And I feel like this is going to get to be too much information, but I just feel like I pick at my face a lot. You know, I'm plucking whiskers lots of places, guys. And I just feel like my chin is always kind of broken out, especially now that we're wearing ma- uh-huh. when I had masks on and it's getting hot outside. I feel like I have not broken out 
or gotten like a really bad sort of breakout uh-huh. since I've been using these. I put them anyway. They well, your skin looks amazing. Thank you, thank you so much. It's also probably because I haven't put makeup on in a year until today. <laughs> but I love these, and I just love her. She doesn't accept any sort of sponsorship. She buys all of it yeah. and just tells you what she thinks. So I really, really like those things. The book I'm reading. This is going to be funny now that we've talked about this. I'm reading a parenting book right oh, now. Good, which historically is not my mo. Yeah. You guys, I normally did not read parenting books. I mostly just winged it. Uh-huh. And then cried to my friends when uh-huh. things didn't work out. And this is a really old parenting book. It's called Parenting with Love and Logic. It's been out for, I think, probably 20 or 30. I mean, it's old. Who wrote it? I have no idea. I will have to look that up. I know. You, okay. Karen. You'd have to put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But a friend recommended it to me. And so I got it on my Kindle. Here's what happens is when you have a baby when you were 41, and there is a large gap between him and his older siblings, you forget Uh how to discipline a child. Uh I have completely forgotten how to raise a toddler. I don't know what kind of consequences are appropriate for a (laughs) three-year-old. Guys, I'm like, is it time out? Is it, what what are we doing? What are we doing here? So there's not a lot of love and logic in our house right now. There's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of rage and blame shifting going on in our house. So I'm not very far into it. The concept between love and logic, am I right here? It's give choices. Choices, Choices. I think it's a big part of it. And boundaries, you Mm -hmm. know, like letting them fail. And this makes, I mean, whatever. These are things that we have heard before from other people. But letting them fail within the context of their loving family when the consequences are low, then fail down the road when they are adults and the consequences are high. Which all makes sense to me. It's kind of like I tell my older children even, you need to practice, you know, using that tone of voice or extending grace or whatever. It is. You need to practice that in the context of your family who cannot disown you. Right. I mean, we would like to, but until, because you're going to get to friendships or classmates or a job where you're going to get fired or dropped or kicked out or whatever. Yeah. So let's practice that in the concept of your family yeah. who loves you unconditionally most of the time. We're still, we're having those conversations at our house yeah. as well with teenagers. And so so I just, normally do not read, I'm not a big parenting yeah. book reader, but I <laughs> picked that one up out of absolute desperation. Okay. I love it. Well, listen, I read your book and I said this would be, I'm going to say it again. Highly recommend it. Thank you so I, in much. In fact, with summer coming up, I mean, this is like a great summer read because it is, does this fall under Christian living? I think it does. I mean, it depends. I, I have talked to some bookstores who've got it in Christian Living, and I've talked to some bookstores who have it in sort of memoir essay. It felt memoir essay to me. Good. Thank and that's you. that's my favorite type of book to read. It's my favorite type of book to oh, read. I love it. You have to, when you get back to New York, you have to send me all of your favorite memoir books to read. I will. I love memoirs. And so that's what it felt like to me. Yes. So, yes. I mean, that is, when I wrote the book, I did not write it trying to, for it to be a Christian book. Obviously, it is about Jesus is throughout the book, but I really wrote it for a non-Christian audience. I mean, that was my goal. Honestly, that's what it felt like to me because it felt like here's someone who is a writer and has great things to say, but Jesus is in it because Jesus is just in your life. Right. Thank you. That's a perfect summary. That's yeah, exactly that, what I was going for. Yeah. So it didn't feel like here is we're going to now look at Romans chapter five. And right. We're walk through this. Guys, you would not want me to take you through Romans chapter five. Let me <laughs> just I mean, tell you. you, you were, it wasn't even like you're like, like when I write, a lot of times I will tie like a Bible story in, sure. and then a story of mine. Because you're a Bible teacher. I'm writing about yeah. the Bible. But this is like funny, great stories that make you like think hard, that make you laugh, that entertain you. But there's Jesus in here because Jesus is in your life. Thank you. And we have I've had a lot of friends who have given it to non-believing family members. I have tons of friends, especially in New York, who are not Christians, yeah. who have enjoyed it, who have laughed, who have you know related to it. So that was really my goal. Well, Thank you, you did it. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming on the happy hour. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Mm-hmm. 
You guys, I got teary-eyed when I was sitting here talking to her and she talked about her mom and what her mom says about her dad when he was passing away. And I loved the way that she held space for the unknown. And I love the way that she talks about how her dad had so many people in his life loving Jesus. I also just really loved getting to sit down and talk with Elizabeth. She flew into Austin from New York City for this interview. And so it was fun to be in person with someone. And she's just lovely. She's funny, but she's deeply, deeply committed to showing how we're all just doing the best that we can. And I appreciate people like that. And I'm drawn to people like that. I'm not kidding. You should get her book. It's really, really, really good. You can get it wherever books are sold. Good Apple, Tales of a Southern Evangelical in New York. And in fact, if you go to my YouTube channel, I actually have a video there of me asking her about the book that you didn't hear on the show today. It's just over on YouTube. So go to youtube.com slash Jamie Ivey. You guys, thanks for listening to the show today. Have a happy hour with a friend. Today's show was edited by the team at Podshaper. The music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing's put together and produced by Lindsay Sweeney. I am your host, Jamie Ivey. And goodness, I really am serious, you guys. I am so grateful that you listened today. And come back on Friday. We have a great show. I sat down with John Acuff, who released a book out in April called Soundtracks. The surprising solution to overthinking. Raise your hand if you overthink. Yes, we all overthink things. And John has some ideas of how we replace bad soundtracks with the right soundtracks. I really, really enjoyed chatting with him. So come back Friday. And until then, have a happy hour with a friend. And thanks for listening today. Bye, guys. you know and trust is now Angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly we can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish so remember Angie's list is now Angie and we're here to get your job done right get started at Angie.com that's A-N-G-I or download the app today